Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Father, we commit the day uh, the, the day to you as well as the time we have to share together in the Word. And I pray that you would uh, fill me with your precious Holy Spirit. Thank you for this season. The truths that are highlighted uh, around the cradle that leads to the cross. Where we do know, as Andrew reminded us, that over the cradle there was the shadow of a cross. And I thank you that you came to redeem us, to do for us what we could not do. Thank you that you are the King of glory wrapped in human flesh, and we're grateful for these wonderful truths today. I pray you'll direct our thinking in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 1, hope you're there. Matthew chapter 1, we see a wonderful list of names. I know most of you, as you look at these names, are tempted like I am to kind of skip over them in your Bible reading. I don't think anybody really loves genealogies that much. We could have just condensed. Could we think, why, why couldn't the Spirit of God who wrote the Bible just simplify by saying, Jesus descended from Adam or Abraham? But every detail of the Bible is important, even the things that we would consider trivial. We had a man in a church in Indiana that loved to study his ancestry. Um, he was a bit of a genealogist, and he would spend his vacation days going to dusty old libraries from where he grew up, and he would study his family tree. And uh, then he would walk through uh, cemeteries and try to find Uncle So-and-so and Great Uncle or Great Aunt So-and-so, and he would get the greatest joy out of that, and he'd come back and tell us all about it while most of us yawned uh, as we thought about uh, just, the, just the many hours he spent trying to find out who was in his long historical line. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of afraid to shake my family tree too hard. I'm afraid what might fall out. How many of you are related to someone famous? Raise your hand. I'm, that surprises me. Quite a few of you, all on this side for some reason. How many of you are related to somebody infamous? Infamous, yeah. That's probably me. We had a, uh, a family in our church, in, again in Indiana, and it was a rather large church, and uh, they uh, was visiting, as he got a little older, he was vi- found out that he was related to the Brewster, William Brewster family that came over, remember that story? They came over on the Mayflower, 1620, and uh, he told me the story about they've even collected from that family a wedding dress and a pair of shoes. And he had, of course, had one of his granddaughters model the, we- the wedding dress that's 400 years. I don't know on the road show how much that would be worth, but uh, he had documentation and everything that he was from that family line and that he had this uh, article of clothing that dates back 400 years. And as we begin the study here, at least in, to- in today's message of a little bit of the background of Christ and the Christmas promise that leads us to consider this study. There's a, a, con, a kind of a compression here of time uh, of about 2,000 years in this list here, 42 generations. And Matthew has sorted out the names, even again condensing some of the years into three groups of 14. Now we have already looked at a couple promises and I will remind you of them. Uh, this is of course the 
The promise that God always keeps his promise. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Hath he spoken, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? God never fails a promise. We do, God doesn't. And this has kind of been the theme verse for our study of Christmas promises. The first one we looked at, if you'll remember, is from Isaiah 7.14. We read it again this morning. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign, speaking to a king of Judah. Behold, virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And then we looked at another promise from Isaiah last week. The names of God, this coming child, for unto us a child is born, and these wonderful titles. He will carry the government on his shoulder one day, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Never, ever leading his country in a direction that's untrue, not righteous, or with, always with a sense of integrity, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This baby would be a child and a father wrapped up in one of the glorious truths of the Trinity. These are a couple of the verses that we've already looked at. And here we see that Matthew has compressed three sets of 14. Now we see those words listed for us, so that number listed for us as we look at verse 17 of Matthew chapter 1. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14, and from David to the carrying away into captivity, Babylon are 14, and from then, uh, from the released, uh, 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 from the captives from Babylon to the coming of Christ are 14 generations. Maybe you're just kind of rolling your eyes by now saying, what do all these names mean? As you look at the list there, there are some names that should stand out to you, as you, especially as you begin. The book of the generation of Jesus, Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. These names, if you've been around the church very long or Bible study very often, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then the list goes on, and there's some names in there that ought to be familiar to you. Not only Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the great forefathers of the nation of Israel, but you see verse 5, Rahab, the prostitute from Jericho, Ruth, the outsider, from Moab, who figure in to the line of Christ. But what thing, one thing Matthew does in his gospel, and each one of the gospels have a different, really, take or theme on the person of Christ, Matthew points out or portrays Christ in his kingly role. And so he makes it a point to bring to, the, to, bring to our attention some important numbers and names in this a genetic line that proceeds from Abraham all the way through King David. David is mentioned in verses 1 and verse 6 and 17. And Matthew is sealing the truth in our minds that Jesus Christ, this one born in this little humble stable and placed in a cradle, this little child has the genetic right uh, and, and all the legal right to be the heir of King David. I was amazed at the songs this morning that fell right into this thought and this theme. So we see David listed uh, many times in this genealogy, and it's significant. The number 14 is significant. Sometimes in our culture, we don't think much about names and what they mean, and, and yet the Bible is full of numbers that have great significance. In fact, uh, there were numbers associated with names. And David, King David's name, had a number associated. Each letter, the Hebrew alphabet, had a numeric value attached to it. 
the idea of 14 seen in verse 17 three times is connected to King David. Every Hebrew who read this in those days at least would understand that this is the number of David. Uh, the Daleth, the first consonant in his name, is uh, weighted with a number four. There's only vowels are left out, so his name in symbol would be D, Vav, Dalit, Vav, Dalit. So four and four, two Ds is eight, and the middle letter V would be worth six. So 14 is David's number, 14 generations from David, or to, eight, to David, from David 14, and then between the captivity and the promised child was another 14. Every Jew alive then would know that this, this child, this Christ child, which means the anointed one, the coming Messiah, is of this, this royal line, this majestic line. There are some people in even current history or current times that have numbers associated to their name, but this wonderful promise that we're going to look at today comes from 2 Samuel chapter 23. God, and his, on his deathbed, this is what David said, he hath made me an everlasting covenant slash promise, ordered in all things and secure or sure that my house and my kingdom shall be established forever before the Lord. Those are two connected messianic promises that God gave in covenant to King David. We, th- we even see today, though not as, certainly not as significant biblically or historically to this man's number, David, 14, but we see na- numbers associated with people even today that are somewhat famous. You might even pick them out. David's is 14, but I don't even know if you know, if you've been a, a, study of, a student of history much or sport, you may know, or even uh, television, and movies, what, these uh, three faces have numbers on the bottom there associated with them. Some of you would know what they are just by looking uh, to your left. Uh, that's an actor, right? And he has a number. Anybody know his number? <laughs> you all are good. But you're not supposed to know all this stuff, but you do. That's good. 007, right? James Bond. And then the guy in the middle. Anybody know that guy? What's that? I, could, I heard everybody at once. The eighth. the eighth. Okay, you're just giving me the number. All right. King what? King Henry. The eighth. You wouldn't want to be married to that gentleman. Uh, so you got 007. And then on the, this may be a little tougher, but this is the season, right? This is the season for the World Cup. There's the hint for you. Okay. Over here we got that. We were talking about that this morning in our Sunday school class. We did study the scriptures, but um, this, uh, this gentleman, he's, I think, in his 80s or early 90s now. I should know. Uh, he is the famous soccer star from Brazil, from Brazil, Portuguese. His name is Pelé. So don't let me hear you saying Pelé. It's Pelé, all right? And uh, he, has, he was instrumental. He is kind of uh, almost a godlike figure to the Brazilians. He is revered, <laughs> as he shouldn't be, but... As uh, a great soccer star of the 60s and 70s. And so he helped the team win three, at least, World Cup trophies. But he has a number. You didn't know that, did you? He played with one number on the, uh, throughout all those World Cups on his jersey. Anybody know? I'm sad about this. I really am. 
number 10. Go home, put that down. Would you write that down, please? That's very important. So you have different numbers associated with great names. David's number was 14, and that's why to every Jew, as you read the genealogy of the Christ or the Messiah, the 14 sticks out as, yes, that's David's number. It's also, of course, connected to the the, the kingly or royal genetic line in which Jesus came. And so we have this number 14, numbers matter. We also see that Matthew calls the, the one, this child to be born Jesus. We see him calling him four times, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1, 16, 17, and 18. He's also called the Christ or the Messiah or the anointed one through the royal line of David, meaning the child again is the legal heir to the throne of David. Joseph and Mary both come from David's line. Why does all of this, why does all of this matter? Well, it matters because this little child that would be born to these humble parents in an out-of-the-way stable where no one recognized the coming because of this artisan, this carpenter who had to go to Bethlehem. He was later course up in Galilee, but this, this humble couple who had this child, that they, they couldn't even afford a place or couldn't find a place to stay during the time of taxation. This little child, dear friends, had every legal right and had all the background necessary historically to fulfill every promise of the coming Messiah. He was the King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. And so he would want us to remember a couple, three things this morning as we look at this wonderful passage and promise. He would want us to remember the promise is not forgotten. Remember, I already listed for you the promise in Second Samuel chapter 23. On his deathbed, one of the things that David remembered is that God has made me a covenant. It's, one of, it's called the Davidic covenant, the everlasting promise that from our line, my line... One day the Messiah, the King of Kings, will come. David didn't forget it, and he would want us to know that God never forgets a promise. and God never will forget a promise. I hope you are a promise-centered Christian, that you have in your mind one of the many of the great promises memorized. I tend to forget things. Ever have somebody in your life that, made a promise to you and forgot about it, failed you, let you down. God never does. Maybe a roofer said, this, uh, this roof has at least a 20-year a guarantee, and then they went out of business, then moved out of town the next year. Or a car salesman give you a promise only to go out of business the next year or sooner. Broken promises are part of the human condition. Just ask the needlers about car troubles and promises that are broken. They have a story to tell you. All of us know about broken promises, but God never forsakes a promise. This is a promise that from David to the time that Jesus was born was a thousand years old. I can't remember much that happened two weeks ago, but God in his great providence and his excellent memory never forgets. And back to Abraham was 2,000 years and God remembered from Abraham all the way to the birth of the child, the promise he made in the Christmas series is that God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. He's spoken, and he's going to do it. 
Tied to the promise, the Christmas promise in 2 Samuel chapter 23, David's dying words is, Lord, remember the promise you made to my family. Older I get, the more I forget. Are you like that? Where I park? Have you ever been wandering around in the parking lot trying to find your car? Oh, to be young again, right? Walk right to your car. Some of you young people are nodding your head. That happens to you too. You need to tie a big red ribbon or something, a balloon at the top of your antenna. God never forgets. I found myself the other, other day uh, just forgetting where I put the peanut butter, and then I found it in the fridge um, or my, right, by, right beside my wallet. Uh, some of you know what I mean. It hurts to get old. The Bible says, hath he spoken, shall he not do it? Aren't you glad God never forgets a promise? And that God one day, just according to his promise, as he made the promise ascending out of Jerusalem, the skies, just as you've seen me go, I will return. The whole book of the Bible is about God making a promise about the coming of his son and the coming of the kingdom and then the return of the Christ. And we are, we are living between the comings of Christ, the first one and the second coming. And it's exciting to remember that God never forgets a promise. Secondly, God's promises are always connected to his kingdom. Take your Bible, please, and just turn a page or two over to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 16. Matthew 4, 16. The people which sat in darkness, this is again introducing the ministry years of Christ as he got a little older, about 30 years of age, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time, you wonder what did Jesus preach about? From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, turn from your sinful ways, for what? This is the theme of Christ's preaching. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning the king is in residence. The king is here. And uh, it's so important to know that the preaching of Christ surrounded or, or really attended this theme all of his days is that the, the king is here. Now they rejected the nation, rejected him as the king. Of course, he came from antiquity to be the lamb of God. There are two rails that go throughout scripture, one being he's coming as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world to justify men's and men's heart, to, to create access to glory by the blood of Christ. There is that rail of blood, the trail of blood that goes throughout Scripture. But there is another uh, similar converging track that says, He is the King, the kingdom is coming. And make no mistake about it, God is coming to establish His kingdom. And He did. He promises are connected always to a kingdom. In a sense, this is the most important truth. Not only that God came to redeem sinful men, but that He's coming as the King. And make no mistake about it, he's going, to, he's going to establish his kingdom on earth. God is doing that. He began his preaching that way. In a sense, we all remember what is most important. And uh, we all are, are really in our life, even if you have a bad memory, you can't remember what happened last week or yesterday, you do have an opportunity and you do have a mind that's centered upon the most important things. You do. And God's, I think, 
heaviest or weightiest is a better way to put this theme throughout the Bible. These wonderful themes that start in the Old Testament go all the way to the book of Revelation is that God is establishing His kingdom. I tend to remember things that are important to me. And I remember things like my phone number. I still remember that. And my birthday. And my anniversary. Our anniversary. 8-15-87. What a blessed day. Changed my world for the better. I love that day. I love to remember that day. <laughs> and my wife helps me remember that day. And other things, names that are important, best fishing spots. I remember things. The Bible is about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. That's what it's about. Now, sometimes we get mistaken about that, don't we? As we study the Bible, and there's nothing wrong with going to the Bible, kind of a, what I call a, a personal quest for God to help you in the midst of a difficulty. There's nothing wrong with going to God and saying, Lord, help me with our daily bread. We're, ha we're having struggle. We're having a struggle just paying for the bills. So, Lord, you're the great provider. So, provide for us. Walk with us. Guide us. Direct us in this next decision as a family. Lord, be with us because we need your wisdom. We need your protection as we get in the car and go from here to Grandma's house at Christmas time and then all the way back. Lord, we need you to be a, 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 a attending angels. Lord, send them for protection and. And Lord, provide for our needs, and, 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 and Lord, help so-and-so to feel better and get better and get well, and you're the great physician. Now listen, it is okay, it is okay to pray those prayers, because God encourages us to do that. But God is not a consumer God. These things are really ancillary or peripheral to the fact that God is doing something from edge to edge of the Bible. It is that His kingdom is coming and the king is in residence. And the king is going to establish his kingdom on earth. And he's going to rule perfectly in justice. He is the prince of peace, the governor, the governor of all things. And he will do right and establish a kingdom where all enemies will be vanquished. And he will be the king of kings and lord of lords forever. That's what God is doing. So when God taught us how to pray, he said, pray this, pray thy kingdom, not mine, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is. That's what God's doing. That's the major theme. And so when that baby came, make no mistake about it, yes, he came to help us, to save us from our sin. One of the great tracks, one of the great themes of the Bible is God's saving work. But he's here, he's accomplishing something, and it is that the king is. In. And when he began to preach, he said, you ought to understand something. Look at me. He says, I am the king, and I... The kingdom of heaven is now available to you. What a wonderful truth that is. God will not forget this, has not for, forgotten. In fact, Matthew 4 tells us he preached that message. The Lord began his ministry with a declaration. The people are living in darkness. You've seen a great light. The land, the region, the shadow of death, the light has sprung up. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Uh, a king is here. The king of heaven is at hand. The wise men, interesting wrinkle in the story, not really a wrinkle, not really a sidelight. The wise men show up, right? And they're influenced by the writings of Daniel way back in Babylon, Persia. And they know because there's been, a, there's been 
Christmas promises, I call them that, prophetic prophecies about the time that Jesus would come, and they're clued into that because of David's prophecies that are very very specific about the coming of Christ. So they've made this nearly 800-mile journey, and they get to Jerusalem with this quest. And they say, where is he? Who? Who are you looking for? Where is he? Where is he? We've come 800 miles in this caravan of camels. I don't know how far you've traveled on a camel. It's terrible. (laughs) It's faster than walking, but we've come this whole way, and so we want to know where is he? Finish it. That is born. King of the Jews. And this troubled the whole city. This troubled Herod. He didn't have any clue, as did many of the Jews, because they weren't students. Micah said where he would be born, right? Bethlehem. Isaiah tells us how, to whom he would be born, to a virgin. And so these guys were clued in. They they knew that the king was in this area. And so they asked, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And when Jesus began his ministry, he says, the kingdom is at hand. It's, it's here. I'm here. Recognize who I am, Messiah and king. And then when they rejected him and drove those long nails through his wrists, his hands, and his feet, Above him, in really, in a sense of scorn, Pilate had written in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. What did he write? Right above his head, the bleeding, dying king, the Lamb of God. The words, Jesus of Nazareth, what? King of the Jews. And all the Jews that were in the religious sector that crucified him said, no, just put up there that he said. And what did the leader say, the ruler say? I have written what I have written. You have just crucified your king. He is the king of the Jews. And so we see his kingly ministry. Everything in the Bible relates to this coming kingdom. A promise not forgotten. A promise connected to his ongoing work of establishing. Do you understand something? You've you got to understand that you serve a king who one day will require from you uh, every word, every thought, who is placed you for a purpose on this world. He is your king if you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior. Oh, this promise then is to be honored. And I want you to know something. As you celebrate Christmas with your family, and you and nothing wrong with nativity scenes except for the fact that the wise men came much later. So to be true, please put the wise men in a separate room, all right? That's all for free. But as you have your Christmas celebrations, and it's so easy to get caught up, right? Who's, who's left that I haven't bought for? Who, who's coming, and what are we going to eat, and uh, who's got dietary restrictions, and do we have enough room and parking, and where are we going to do, what are we going to do, and uh, all the things, the, the s- 
sometimes silly things that attend Christmas. Some are necessary, and it's fun to gather together, but we're so enthralled by what's under the Christmas tree, and we walk by that little cradle. And we think that we can keep walking by that cradle, that the cuteness, and babies are cute, right? That There's a cuddly cuteness, and there's a mystery and a marvel to even human birth, and it was a human divine convention that brought Christ into the world. But we tend to forget that that baby is a prince of peace. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. And although he's come to die upon Calvary, he has every right to rule everything in your life, including what you're looking at on your phone, what you're thinking about. One day, whether you want to or not, whether you are or not, you will bow before him. And you will admit that he is King of kings and Lord of lords to the glory of God. And that little baby, although it's so easy... Babies have this cuteness factor. We're having a baby boom in our church, and there's something in a baby that wants you to reach out and hold them. And I can't wait till our grandbabies come at the end of the year in January. And I just sometimes look at the pictures and say, "I just, Robert, I just gotta, I gotta hold that little thing." <laughs> Salt Lake City is a long way to reach. There's a acuteness factor, but I want you to understand that little baby in that little manger has every right, Matthew establishes it, to be the king of kings and lord of lords. So there ought to be a sense like the, this is the idea of the third point here, there ought to be a sense in which we honor him, Matthew 2 and 11. Let's see what happens when, this is not something I do when I walk by our nursery and church. So it's an, it's an unusual response to a cute and cuddly baby. We are enthralled by the mysteries of birth, humanly speaking, but what do these men do who have come so far? Chapter 2 of 11, Matthew says this, When they were come into the house, they saw the young child Jesus with Mary, his mother, and immediately... Don't walk past that baby, that child. Don't say, because he's so young, maybe he doesn't even know or care about what I'm doing. Maybe he has no onus in my life. There's no sense of respect or honor or adoration Do him because he's just that cute little baby in the nativity scene. No, dear friend, Matthew would establish from the very get-go that this has been forever planned. The agenda of heaven is the kingdom of God, and this is a king. And they immediately fall to their knees. We don't do that with any human baby. We certainly love them and are enthralled by the things they do, but this was a different response. And friend, it has to be ours. As we worship him, not only today, but at Christmas season, I trust that somewhere in all your planning, there is a time where you surround the manger and understand, not only is this the Lamb of God, this is the King of kings and Lord of lords. They worshiped.
This is a spiritual act reserved only for deity. And they, in the face of the parents, did not worship Mary. Sorry, Catholics. They worshiped the child. Grown men worshiping, praying, adoring, thanking, loving this child who was the son and is the son of God. And so, may I encourage you, not only waiting till Christmas, but today, understand who he is. Matthew makes it very important. He is the king. He's to be honored. They fell down and worshipped him. And then, they gave him treasures. uh, Treasures fitting a king. And this is also a great season in terms of application for us to look into our hearts and understand that this one owns us. This little child gave us life and everything that's good in it. And so this is a great time too in this gathering of the season to give him sacrificially gifts befitting a king. So I give my little tithe. I give my little tip. Oh, once in a while, wouldn't it be great if you could just... The, the King James uses the word there. They gave him their treasures. Uh, most of our treasures we hoard. We give Christ what's left over. That lady at the temple gave only those two little little tiny coins that amounted to not much, but they were everything that lady had because she understood that that baby, that Christ, that God that she served was worthy of everything she had. He's given us everything. What a great thing it would be, a practice to give during this season. And this is not a plea. This is just us recognizing God's kingly nature. One day, whether you understand it or not, this king will return, right? He will. On a white horse, flaming fire with his angels and his saints, returning to set up again the everlasting kingdom, starting with a thousand years of literal reign in Jerusalem, where he will occupy the throne of David, just as he promised David The promise that he hung on to. And this king, for those who do not, and there may be some here this morning that do not obey the gospel, this king will occupy a white throne, the Bible says, and that white throne, the books will be opened. And death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire, and whosoever was not found, are you listening, in the book of life, this king will adjudicate wisely. He will adjudicate perfectly. Every name not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The king of all the earth will be honored, will be respected, and only those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ will enter into the millennial kingdom and the eternal state. But we will all practice adoration, fear, reverence. Let this baby king have his rightful place in your schedule, your thoughts, your time, and all that you do, knowing it is both now and ultimately this king who will open the books and judge the world in righteousness. Thankful today for the coming King who will come back in all His glory, and all those who have pierced Him will look upon Him and bow their heads in shame, and at the prospect of being cast forever to a place the Bible calls hell. And all those of us who served Him and loved Him and submitted to Him, obeyed Him as a King, 
will be ushered then by faith into that wonderful place called the millennium, and then after that, heaven itself. What a glorious thing. What a great picture. What a great promise this is. Just the last slide. I think I want to remind you of this as a wonderful shadow of the, of the crown of thorns, the great verse that follows from Revelation chapter 19, verse 16. And he hath on his vesture, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, upon his return, and upon his thigh, a name written. What is it? King of kings and Lord of lords. That baby in the manger certainly was the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will come back and occupy that throne before us. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.